0: Enlisted in the army out of patriotism. I, I ever since I was young, I always wanted to serve my country and serve in the military. I always had
1: toys. I always reenacted little battles in my backyard. I felt a, a drive or a need to go serve. Something that you know, less than one percent of the country raises their hand and says, "Hey, you know, I want to go do that."
0: I actually came here in eighth grade and saw a changing of the guard. I had no expectations of being a, a sentinel, at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I, I enlisted in infantry. I expected to go to a regular infantry unit. And once I got the opportunity to come to the old guard and I knew that the tomb was a part of it, I I immediately decided that that's something I wanted to do.
2: I came down here for a changing of the guard one day, and I came and I seen that this was something that I wanted to do. I knew this was bigger than myself. I knew that I would serve a purpose here.
1: Down here at the tomb, you usually go through uh, six to nine months of training. It's uh, self-paced, so depending on how well you learn your knowledge or how fast you learn your knowledge, how well you can learn to put together a uniform. All the measurements on the uniform are within one sixty-fourth of an inch. You learn to shine your shoes with uh, Kiwi and water. You also build every single thing that's on your uniform. And then as well as, you know, outside portion, learning how to do the weapons inspection or learning how to walk, you know, keeping everything within a twenty-one second count.
0: The unknowns gave everything they had for us, so we, we believe that it's the least we can do to demand perfection out of ourselves when you're on honoring them. What we do down here means
2: a lot to a lot of people, and we carry that on ourselves a lot. We, we
1: know what we do, and we strive to be perfect just because of it. Perfection is our standard, and, and knowing in the back of my mind that that's an unattainable goal, I mean, but you want to get as close to it as you can. You work 24-hour shifts when you're out there at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, it can get uh,
0: pretty trying. You have to stay awake and, you know, walk around and get real cold or you can get real hot. So you have, to, uh, you have to really dig deep and find that motivation. I stood guard
2: during Hurricane Irene. I remember just standing there. I could feel the wind just pushing. Like, every time we would change shoulders, I could feel that wind was trying to take that weapon from me. But as long
1: as you stood there and knew what you were trained to do. You know, this is crazy. I got trees blown around to my left and right, and I'm standing here, you know, and then that's when you got to dig deep and remember why you're standing there. You have that humbleness instilled in you that you want to do the job no matter the conditions
2: because those unknowns gave their life and the little you could give to them is the fact that you can stand out there and take a little bit of discomfort. I had a buddy that just lost his life in Afghanistan a week ago. I first got the news they hadn't settled in but it made me that day especially, I could, my drive, my motivation to do what I do here really stood out and I knew that if anything I could do it for him because he was a very close friend of mine and I know I don't know every soldier but I know every soldier gives every single thing they've got to do this job that we do and it, it means something to me.
1: Currently the, you know the tomb says known but to God because that's where they you know who they're known to by right now because we don't know who they are but I'm hoping someday when I pass on you know many many years from now that, uh, that I'll, I'll get to know their names. I think a lot of people look at more material objects in life than they do what you've done and what you've accomplished and it isn't really like what you've accomplished as far as you don't have to be you know a big rock star or a football player but just be who you are the fact that you can go out there and and touch someone's life or you can go out there and just with a simple change of a guard you know you can inspire somebody or touch somebody emotionally you know that you've connected at one point you had to step out from being a a kid you couldn't be you know underneath mom and dad's wing anymore you eventually had to be your own self and the military has definitely helped me mature and, and develop myself into the man, and, and like I said, every day I'm, I'm getting challenged more and more, and hopefully I'm doing a good job becoming a good man. I, I feel I am.
0: The Sentinel's Creed. My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted.
2: In the responsibility bestowed on me, never will I falter.
0: And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements, I will walk
2: my tour in humble reverence.
0: To the best of my ability, it is he who commands the respect I protect, his bravery that made us so proud. Surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day, alone in the thoughtful peace of night, this soldier, this soldier, this soldier will in honor glory rest under my eternal vigilance.
3: So we watched that several weeks ago in our men's study, and... The first time I saw it, I just thought, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, those guys are devoted. Would, would you agree those guys are devoted? 24 hours a day, rain or shine, hurricanes, whatever, they are going to stand their post. And, and what the Lord said to me is, the type of devotion that those guys have should be normal in the church of God. They stand watch over the tomb of the unknown soldier. We stand watch over the empty tomb of the known savior. And he says, I want you and whoever you can find to have that type of devotion to the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the impact on the world we would have if we said, come hell or high water? And how many of you have had some hell and high water? I will stand my post. Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. How many times have people quit and walked away from the church? Because hell or high water prevailed against them. I'm not gonna leave. I'm not as long as he allows me to, I will stand my post. And I will challenge people to stand their post. Now you may not be able to change the whole world, but you can change someone's world. And so I want you to say that. If you're on Facebook, type that out. I can change someone's world. Say that out loud. All right, now when when we do this. I want you to say it like you mean it, and I want the foundations of hell to shake if you believe that God has called you to change someone's world. So if you don't believe that, just keep your mouth shut. But if you believe it, I want you to declare today, I can change someone's world. I can change someone's world. That's a little better. Not good enough yet, but we're getting there. At the end of your life, what do you want people to say about you? Because when when my time is done, and and I think about this all the time, so like I could say, you know, the Lord could take me at any moment. He could take me right now. There was a pastor. That happened. He was talking about the Lord could take him. He fell down dead. So that may happen someday. I'm I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying if it happens, Casey, come up. The notes are right here. Just read them, all right? Just keep going because we said, come hell or high water or dead preachers, we're going to keep going, all right? At the end of my life, what I really want people to say is he was dedicated to his family. Come hell or high water. Come hell or high water, he was dedicated to New Life Community Church. And come hell or high water, he was dedicated to missions. If that's what I want people to say about me at my funeral, I better spend some time right now making that happen. i got to make decisions today so that when I die, at this moment or next moment, People stand up and say he loved his family. He was dedicated to his family. He was dedicated to the church. And he was dedicated to missions, to reaching the world for Christ. At the end of my life, I would like people to thank me for you fill in the blank. Here's the problem with this way of thinking. It will cost you your life. When you start to think like this, you can no longer say someone else should start a church for people who are far from God. Someone else should go to Belize or to Lake Charles or to Israel or to Haiti. Someone else. It's not my problem. You can't think like that once you start saying, I want people to thank me for you fill in the blank. Because here's what it's going to do. It's going to cost you time, money, and opportunities. Those three things, time, money, opportunities, represent your life. What are you giving your life to? Because I can tell you a lot of people are giving their lives to things that are temporary. These things represent your life. And when Jesus said, it's going to cost you everything to follow me, that's where he lost a lot of people. And it's where we lose people too. So I got a couple of pictures here, and I want you to help me identify these pictures. Here's the first picture. What is that? life jacket. That's not really the word I'm looking for. What's another word? A life preserver. preserver. Or we're just going to make it really, really simple and go with the next picture. We're going to call it a life saver. All right. Left to ourselves, we are life savers. Jesus said, nope, it's not who I'm looking for. I'm looking for life givers. Here's what he said in uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. What, what kind of crowds? Large. Y'all ever been in a large crowd? You ever been to like the Six Flags or Disney World and you're packed in there? Large clouds, crowds. Everywhere Jesus went, people were pressing in. They wanted something from him. It's why he would jump in a boat and push out a little bit so the people weren't going to get in the water so he could teach them. It's why one time he left and went across the Sea of Galilee. He and his, his disciples went up on the mountain, remember? They're sitting down, they turn around, and large crowds were coming. And I think the disciples are going, are you kidding me? That's when Jesus fed, him, fed the 5,000. It wasn't like he could just jump in a dark escalade and, and have the sirens escort him away. The best he could do was jump on a donkey and try to get away. But how good is that? You're going the same speed as the crowd. Come on, donkey! Ah, you know. <laughs> if you're ever at one of these places like Disney World, I've never, I will never forget this. We were packed in there one time, and our kids were kind of younger when we went. And one of them was like, something stinks! Well, it's the person in front of us. Or the person behind us, or beside us. I don't know, but somebody stinks! And we're like, shh! Right? So imagine that type of crowd and what are they doing? Now, I, I've never watched a single episode of The Living Dead. Is that what it's called? Walking Dead. Walking Dead. The Dead Dead. The Living Dead. I don't know. Walking Dead. But in my mind, it's kind of like, what they want? Uh, they're, they're brain suckers, right? They want your brain of the of good people. Is that right? Oh, no. I don't know. I don't care. These people were brain suckers because they wanted from, something from Jesus. They're walking along. Uh, Give me, Jesus. Give me, give me, give me. Large crowds, stinky grounds, brain suckers, life takers were hanging out around Jesus. And look what it says. And turning to them. One pastor said, it's not really like he turned to them. It's like he turned on them when you hear what, he about, what he's about to say. Because they did not expect this. If anyone comes to me and does not, what's that word? Oh, this messed me up as a kid. Because I've been in church. I, I grew up in the nursery Church I grew up in, the nursery was upstairs and had big windows and had speakers so you could hear what was going on in big church, right, so that the nursery workers could love on the babies. And that's how I grew up in church. I remember hearing this, and I thought, I'm supposed to hate mom and dad? It messed me up. Jesus, what you? T- I'm supposed to hate mom and dad? Hang on. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, and I'm going, wait, 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 what? He's not talking about hate the emotions. We're told all throughout the scripture, hate the emotion is wrong. He's talking about devotion. He's talking about priority. He's talking about authority. If your family or your job or your happiness is the highest priority in your life, the highest devotion in your life, you're not going to listen to Jesus. Jesus says, compared to those things... It needs to be hate. So he says, hate, not the emotion of your own life. It's about who's going to be in charge. Because if you're like, my life is most important, my kids are most important, my job is most important, you're not going to listen to Jesus. And I will guarantee you that your prayers are not going to be answered. Because Jesus will not waste his time. The Holy Spirit will not waste his time with a disobedient, a willfully disobedient person. The person who flips Jesus off and then the next second says, Hey, Jesus, I need this. You're not going to get what you're asking for. Because most of the time he's already given us 95% of what you're supposed to do already in the pages. You don't even have to pray about it. If it says it, you do it. So why would he waste his time answering your prayer? Because he just said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person, the person who does not make him the highest priority, look what this says. This is not my words. This is Jesus' words. Cannot be my disciple. Holy cow. Are you kidding me? My devotion to Jesus should be so much greater than my devotion to Janie Washburn. I stood before God. I stood before my brother. And I promised that she would be the number one woman in my life. Under my breath, I said, for 50 years. And we're 30 years there. And I told her I'd renegotiate. No, I mean, I did, but I was kidding. (laughs) But he said, he said, if my devotion to Janie Washburn is higher than my devotion to him, I can't be his disciple. If my devotion to my children is higher than Jesus, I cannot be a disciple of his. Because to, to become a disciple, you had to declare, declare your intentions, right? So when you stand up and you're, and you're married, you declare your intentions to God and everybody. When you're baptized, it's over there. When you're baptized, you're saying, I'm a Jesus follower. Janie and I were baptized in the, in the Jordan River five years ago. My brother baptized me, and then I came up and I baptized Janie. Because we'd been baptized before, but we, we wanted to be baptized where Jesus was baptized. Because we said, we want to identify wholeheartedly with Jesus Christ. Because here's a problem. A leader, a rabbi, a teacher had followers. And, and you need to know this. Jesus never follows you. Ever. He's in charge. He turns to them and says, "I know you're following me around physically, but you can't be a follower of Jesus until you decide who's going to call the shots and who has authority in your life. To hate your own life means like this: Jesus, you are in charge. Jesus, you're number one. Because Jesus, following Jesus is about self-denial, not self-improvement. I need to better myself. No, you need to follow Jesus. You need to deny yourself." Now, Jesus is not against self-improvement any more than he's against your father, your mother, your brothers, sisters, your spouse. He's not against that unless they're in first place, and then he's very against that. You can't say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but allow anyone else to call the shots, even you, especially you. Let me say that again. You cannot follow anyone else. You can't say, I'm going to follow Jesus, allow anyone else to be number one in your life. Even you, especially you, because here's the problem. Oh, I'm just going to follow my heart. Well, look what Jeremiah says about your heart and my heart. The heart is deceived above all else, above all things, and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Who can understand it? One one translation says, it is incurable, meaning by human means, it cannot be cured. The only way to cure your heart is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's beyond cure. Your devotion has to be to him first. So look what he says next in verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, what? Cannot be my disciple. You you can be my traveling buddy, Jesus says. You can eat loaves of bread and fish that I supernaturally multiply to feed 5,000 men, probably up to 15,000 when you count the women and children. You can witness the blind receiving sight. You can witness the deaf hearing. You can can witness um, the sick made well. You can see all the miracles, even the miracle of the resurrection, and that will not get you to heaven, Jesus is saying. The only people who get to heaven are members of his family, the ones who bow the knee and say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins and lead my life. You are number one. The moment you die to yourself, You become adopted into the kingdom of God. And at this point, you need to know this, at this point, the what's in it for me crowd left. They said, if that's the cost, it's too much, and we're not going to follow you. How sad on the day that they die when they stand before Jesus and the Lamb's book of life is opened up. Because Revelation tells us, the end of the book tells us, if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, he says, depart from me, because I don't know who you are. And there's only one other option. It's hell. Eternal separation from a loving Heavenly Father. If that's what it takes, it's too much. And see, when Jesus mentioned this word cross, no one thought, jewelry, t-shirt. It would be like someone mentioning this. Y'all know what this is? That's old Sparky. That's exactly right. Janie was she went to Sam Houston, and so when I would go see her, I was living in Austin. We didn't live in the same town until we got married. So, I would go see her, and uh, my dad was always like, "You going to see the warden?" I'm like, "Yeah, Dad, I'm going to see the warden." My girlfriend's the warden at the at the Walls Unit in in Huntsville. But one time we went on a date, and we went to the museum, the prison museum, and and. uh, we went into a jail cell, an actual jail cell, and it was not the first time, and it would not be the last time that I had been in a jail cell, but um, I think we, we, made, we had that comment. But then we went into this thing, and it's, it's pretty sobering, because that's where they used to, to kill people who had received the death penalty. Can you imagine if I said to Janie when we were dating, hey, I bought you a death chair, an electric chair, necklace would you wear it to profess my love? She'd be saying, uh, we ain't getting married anymore. You're an idiot. Or what about this? What if I came up with a, with a lethal injection bracelet for you? Would that kind of make you go, you're an idiot. That's, that kind of turns my stomach. That's how these people felt when Jesus said, you need to take up your cross. It wasn't jewelry. It was this unbelievably hor- horrific death. And they're going, what? Take, take up my cross? No, that costs too much. See, Jesus knew he was offering you and me something better than ourselves. Something we could never achieve on our own. But there's a price to pay to get that something better. You have to die to you and live for Christ. And many people left him because the price was too high. Now we jump over to Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, now realize he's just said, you cannot be my disciple unless you deny yourself. You cannot be my disciple unless you take up your cross. And then he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, not my traveling buddy, not my groupie, not my roadie, not just a member of the crowd who wants to be entertained. If you want to be a disciple, look look at this, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Because here he says it, for whoever wants to save their life, whoever wants to be a (laughs) lifesaver, you're in trouble. If your life is all about preserving what you want, you're in trouble expanding your kingdom, if your highest priority is you, the Bible says you have no place in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if that's you, the thing you so desperately want, I guarantee you, you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. Goes on with the rest of the verse. You want to save it, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, and we're not talking about being a martyr. This has so much more to do than just physical life. To lose your life means, yes, Jesus, I say yes. Now, what's the assignment? Here's my life. Use it for whatever you want. That's what it means to lose your life for Christ. And then if you do that, if you make that decision, Jesus has a promise for you. He says, you'll save it. You want to save your life? You're going to lose it. You give your life away. He guarantees you will save it. And it wasn't, it wasn't, a call to throw your life away recklessly, well, recklessly, like a lot of people do. A lot of Christians do this. A lot of Christians will say, God told me, and I'm going, which God? Because this does not contain what you just said God said. What you're telling me that God told you to do contradicts the word of God. So you're wrong. It's not Heavenly Father God. It's the God of this age, the lowercase g. The God of this age has told you to do something to please your own heart. And you're headed for destruction. Jesus is inviting all of us to self-denial. Do you know why? To rescue you from you. If you live your life for you at the end, you're going to have nothing. A total, complete loss. Big fat zero. But if you live for Jesus, you will have everything. He actually jumped ahead of me there, bud. This idea of being involved in something bigger is uh, is everywhere. I mean, go to go to Hollywood. We gotta save the planet, because the planet can't save itself. We gotta save the whales, because whales are people too. We have to save the field mice. We can't build a building over here because there's a field mice out there. Squeak, squeak. Now I'm not. I'm not against taking care of the planet because God said, take care of the planet. I'm not not saying that. I'm just saying those things can't be a higher priority than God. In Genesis, God gave humans the responsibility to take care of the planet, to watch over those things. But those things are not big enough to devote your life to because they're all temporary. So if you focus on you, you will be empty. You empty yourself and you will be full. Um, I was thinking about this back when Matt and Rachel went down to SFA in Nacogdoches, um, they found a church, and they were going to church there, and they loved it, and they would call and tell us about it. And and about four weeks after Rachel moved down there, she calls me, and she goes, hey, Dad, I'm coming in next month. Can I sing at church? I said, of course you can. She said, we love our church. It's awesome, but I'm kind of tired of sitting. I need to serve. It's okay if I serve at, at New Life. I said, yeah. You know, y- y'all know that we were going to Haiti all of these times, and then Haiti closed down. We couldn't go two years in a row. And First year, we went to Belize because we are were like, we're, we we got to go somewhere. So we went to Belize, and uh, the church helped pay for the, the change in plane costs because it was, it was significant. And uh, we went to Belize. It was awesome. We went to Belize again, and then we were going to go to Belize and Haiti. We didn't get to do that because everybody shut down last year, you know. It was crazy. and, and uh, So this year, we'd been planning to go to Israel. We're going to Israel next year, Lord willing. If you're interested in going to Israel, let me know, because you need to start saving money now and all of that stuff. But when we found out we couldn't go to Israel, in fact, Israel may be closing back down. They're not opening up to, to the public until August, but that may be going back down because of this Delta variant, whatever, of COVID. When we found out we couldn't do that, and I said, let's go to Lake Charles. Rachel said to me, she goes, Well, I'm going to Lake Charles because I'm not about to miss another mission trip. I don't want to go another summer without going somewhere and serving. That should be normal in the church. Y'all know Casey's our backup preacher. That's what he calls himself. But he's so much more than that. He has the gift of teaching. He has the gift of serving. He and Sherry teach Bible studies they they counsel and they're good at it. God has given our church this couple to minister. And I don't think I don't think y'all would enjoy church if you just sat there, right? No. The band loves making music. Love it leading in worship. And they're talented, right? Band's talented. It's no fun to sit, is it? Caleb had to do that for a while. He was out of band for a long time. long time. (laughs) You're welcome, buddy. Hey, it's true. Long time. (laughs) I love to go to conferences. Janie and I love to just sit and have no responsibility and just worship. Actually, one of my favorite things is when she starts to worship. Because I never get to sit by her. And when she starts to worship, it just fills my heart. We went to a concert one time, a a Chris Tomlin concert, and and we were at the hell and high water point. And uh, that song, Is He Worthy, came on. Is He Worthy? And we just hugged each other and wept as the Lord filled our souls. Is he worth? It? Yes. I mean, we're just ugly crying, right? Worshiping the Lord. But I couldn't do that every week. I couldn't. I couldn't go be filled every week. If and when I retire, if the Lord doesn't take me, actually, I think that'd be kind of cool. If the Lord took me during a service, you'd never forget that service, right? <laughs> but if I die a normal death, and I retire from this church, I will not retire from serving. I want to take three or four mission trips a year. There was a guy years ago in in Haiti. Ironically, he's a short, bald guy. (laughs) And he was doing that. Three, four, five, six mission trips a year. I said, I want to be that guy someday. I don't want to sit. Once you've tasted service in the kingdom of God, sitting is no longer an option. Now, if that is true, Why is it that at every church I've been in, 20% 20 of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the funds. Why is that? It's because the 80% ask what's in it for me. The 20% are like, no, I don't care what's in it for me. It's what's in it for the kingdom. Your purpose in the kingdom of God is way bigger than what's in it for me. But finding meaning and purpose is costly. And the more it costs, the few people are willing to do it. Do you know what Jesus called purpose and meaning in life? He called it abundant life. He said this in John ten ten: The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the, that's the enemy of God. That's the opposite of God. It's the unholy spirit. He wants you to focus on you because if you focus on you, you'll end up empty. That's what Jesus said. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. And you get a big fat zero. You can call the shots. You can be like God. You can do whatever you want to and never suffer any consequences. Just spend your life on you. He desperately wants you to spend it on you so you'll be empty. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, The only way you're going to find more life is to give the life you have away. If you spend your life on you, And your kingdom, you'll be empty. But if you spend it on his, he promises to fill you. So if you're empty today, here's a big fat sign for you. You're living for you. If you came in here empty, it's because you or someone other than Jesus Christ is on the throne of your life. And you'll never be filled until you put the rightful king. I mean, the Bible tells us in Philippians that there's going to come a day whether you do it now or you do it later, everyone is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The ones who will be full are the ones who say now, yes, Jesus, what is, what, what is it you want me to do? Yes, the answer is yes. The best thing you can do for you has very little to do with you. The best thing you can do for you is say no to you so that you can say yes to something bigger and better. And the promise of Jesus is, if you want abundant life, You have to give your life away. It should be normal in every church on the planet that follows Jesus Christ as Lord. It should be normal to be be just as devoted as those guys at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Someday I hope to get to go see those guys. That'd be awesome. We should see those type of men and women every Sunday that we walk onto this property. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the freedom we have in our country. Forgive us for taking it for granted. Forgive us for whining and moaning and making our lives about ourselves. That's what your enemy wants, and we're really good at it. Help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you daily so that we'll have this abundant life so that when we stand before you, you're pleased with us. You're applauding us. Good job. If we hadn't been living that way, help us to start today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.